0: Welcome to Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. We're on episode 215. You're grieving wrong and other unhealthy statements. So how are you at Monday morning quarterbacking? So I live in a very sports-oriented town, that being New Orleans, Louisiana. And when the Saints are playing, which is coming up pretty soon after this podcast, there are probably hundreds of thousands of people who stand around water coolers, who, in their offices, in their walking around tracks, wherever they may be on Monday mornings, they have an opinion about the Saints. Either they were pleased with what was done, they were pleased with the choices that the quarterback at the time made, they were pleased with the running back, they were pleased with defense, or they absolutely positively rake the coach and or players over the coals doing what we call Monday morning quarterbacking. In other words, they look back at what they think they saw and they make decisions based upon what the outcomes were. So, for instance, let's say that we have a kickoff and we have someone, Speedy Gonzalez, who's down at the end and he catches the ball. And he chooses to go right because that seems correct to him at the time with what he's seeing on the field. And on the other side, he had an entire clear pathway. And so people will critique and they'll look at that and they're like, "But he should have gone left. He should have gone left." And I'm always reminding people that it is—it's—it's it's wonderful to be able to look back at experiences. Or to look down on experiences and go, yeah, yeah, no, he should have done this. Because you can see that the other way didn't work. Like, isn't that amazing how that how that helps you to be better at making that judgment call than the guy that's on the field? And not only are you looking back, but you are looking from above. And he is... Eye level, and he's making decisions in a split second, trying to follow his blockers, trying to figure out where the holes are. And it just always amazes me. And I try my best not to get involved in that of second guessing what happened on the field. Now, we all second guess the refs. Now, that's a different story. But when it comes to the coaches and when it comes to the players, you got to realize that you are looking from a totally different perspective and you have the benefit of knowing how it turned out. But there is another way that Monday morning quarterback comes into play. And that's using the word morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Until I recorded this podcast, even though I work in a grief industry and do education on grief all the time, I did not realize just how many grief themes that I would hit on this podcast, not because I'm trying to pull them out, but because they're straight in scripture. Like you can't miss them. And especially in the life of David. I mean, we have talked about his grief regarding his sin. We've talked about his grief regarding the child that he had with Bathsheba. We've talked about his grief over the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. We talked about his grief over having to say goodbye to Jonathan, his best friend. And I don't even think that's all of them. No, he had a son who died, was killed uh, by Absalom. Since we're talking about Absalom, it was killed by Absalom. And there may even be more. David dealt with a lot of loss. And some of it was by his own choices. And then other situations were out of his control. And we all deal with loss. Oftentimes, I don't even think we realize how often we deal with loss. Everybody gets it that the death of a loved one is a loss. No doubt about that. But how about if you lose your job? How about if you go through a fire? You have a natural disaster. Those are all losses And you will have grief responses to them. And so many times in American culture in particular, we're not well prepared (laughs) to handle loss. Because sadly, as a society, we have been taught, either verbally taught, or taught by television or even examples that we need to pick up our bootstraps and keep walking or get back on the horse or men don't cry and on and on and on the misnomers go. Years ago, I... Was uh, privileged to walk alongside a lady whose husband had died, and it's still one of the most unique stories ever. In the fact that this lady, she she didn't believe that anybody could understand her grief, and I'll give her that nobody could understand every nuance of her grief because they didn't have the same relationship with her husband that she did. And they weren't her. Like I get that part, but she had in her mind that it was just impossible for her to receive any type of support. But thankfully she let me for months go and not support her about every week or two weeks. And I learned a lot from her and Lord willing, she learned something from me despite her, lack of thought that anybody could help her. Excuse me. (coughs) Got an itch there. But, one day, I came to her, and she was ticked. Some lady who lived in the same building, it was probably somewhere in the ballpark, six to seven months after her husband died, and this lady who lived in the building told her the famous phrase that so many grievers are told at all, cert, uh, all points of the grief process. Well, you should be over that by now. Oh, my lady was ready to, like, hurt somebody. She was about to provide some extra grief uh, for multiple people. We had a long talk about it. We had a long talk about it. And how often have I and other people who counsel those in grief have had to talk people down from comments like that, where you have one of those Monday morning quarterbacks who want to stand on the outside of your grief experience and provide what they think is expert advice. And uh, I just shake my head because so many times the loss of a loved one is compounded by the Poor words that are given as advice, as encouragement. Rarely does anybody say something to a grieving person that is intentionally malicious. Every once in a while, I think it truly was. But most of the time, people meant it. For good, they really, really thought that they were doing the right thing. But that wasn't the case. And as we look today at our next segment in the story of King David, we're going to see somebody with the compassion of a tree giving some of that advice to David. Now, I'm going to tell you, the person was Joab, the commander of the army, David's nephew, if I remember correctly. And he had, he was not concerned about David's grief. All he was concerned about, he was focused on business matters, so to speak. And I get that part. I understand that he he thought that he had to be the heavy and pretty much tell David he had to get over it and get back to work because Joab was afraid that they were going to lose the ground that had been accomplished. And the number of times that grievers have been told by their employers or co-workers you're going to have to suck it up and and you're going to have to get your work done even though your husband died one week ago like th- those are challenging challenging times for both but like how do we support those who have de- have dealt and are dealing with a loss So let's look at David and then I'm going to use a short article from grief.com, which grief.com is one of the many sites out there that has really good, really good articles, videos, and links to other good support information because not everybody, everything, which everybody should know this by now, but sometimes we got to remind ourselves is just because it's on the internet does not mean that it is healthy and true. And that is definitely the case when it comes to grief and grief education and and all of that about. So when we finished up last week, we were talking about Absalom's death. Sadly, Absalom's death, because of his own greed... His own ambition. And I still believe a lot of it was by the influence of Ahithophel. And you can go back and listen to those episodes. But we listened last week as David was told that Absalom had died in the battle. And this Absalom being David's son. And even though Absalom had gone behind David's back. He had manipulated the people. David had had to march or felt he had to march out of Jerusalem in order to keep Jerusalem from going down as a result. We saw a few weeks ago that 20,000 plus people had been killed because of this family drama that shouldn't have ever gone to the place that it did. And now Absalom dies as a result. And Yes, David is the head of Israel, or had been, until Absalom temporarily took the throne. But he's a dad. And that's what comes out, because David had been very specific whenever the battle was getting ready to happen. He's like, do everything you can to spare Absalom. Like, he's... Absalom would have been telling his army, "Make sure you get my dad." Like you like if you don't get anybody, I need you to kill him. Whereas David is saying, "Please spare my son." And so we're going to read the last verse of 2 Samuel 18 and then we're going to go through 19:8a as we look at David's response and Joab's advice. Okay, so starting with 33, the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to his room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Verse 1 of 19. Word soon reached Joab that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. As all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into the town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted in battle. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on crying, O my son Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, We saved your life today and the lives of your sons, your daughters and your wives and your concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Now go out there and congratulate your troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than ever before. Eight. So the king went out and took his seat at the town gate, and as the news spread throughout the town that he was there, everyone went to him. And uh, does does your heart not break for David as you hear me read those scriptures? I mean, he's a father whose son was just killed. No matter the circumstances, no matter the fact that Absalom had betrayed him, Absalom was still his son. And then there's Joab. And again, as I said, I get that he needed to talk with David because they needed to make a move to make sure that the people understood that David was still their leader. The line that says yet you act like this making us feel ashamed of ourselves no one can make you feel anyway i've got to bring that up in the midst of this they can have actions which lead to reactions or responses but they can't make you feel so Joab is using, and I I believe that he believes it, he's using those words to try to motivate David to put aside his grief and rule the roost. But just the terminology, it just, uh, it saddened me this whole story saddens me because David is hurting and Joab. I mentioned in the intro that he has the compassion of a treat. That's how I see him and being in the grief industry now for almost 20 years, I guess technically I have been in it for 20 years. I've seen people who personality wise Supporting someone who's going through a loss was not their specialty. (laughs) And you may think that you are that person or you have received that type of comfort from others or lack thereof. And then other people, they gravitate to hurting people. Like each of us have our own specialties. But that does not mean That we can't support someone who is dealing with loss. And we don't want to be Joab. Because Joab, all he could see was the mission. And it's not that the mission was not important. But there was a much better way of addressing David and his grief And also accomplishing what Joab thought had to be done. And I just, my heart breaks for David. Sometimes we do, when we've had a loss, sometimes we do have to do things. Such as him walking out at the town gate and making an appearance when we do not feel up to it. Like, I get that part but it's how Joab approached him and how because of Joab's words David may very well have now experienced complicated grief on steroids it was going to be complicated because he this was his son and it happened in a manner that could have definitely been prevented, two of the factors that can really make grief complicated. But now you've got somebody saying, don't grieve. Don't allow yourself to have emotions. Do not allow yourself to have these thoughts, even though they're going to happen. Alan Wolf felt is a, in my opinion, and in the opinion of so many in our industry, is a grief expert, and he talks about the difference between grief and mourning. Grief, that is our reaction to a loss, and the fact that we have thoughts and we have emotions that come about as a result of having a loss in our life, whereas mourning is the pouring out of those emotions and those thoughts. It's grief gone public. It's grief that leaves our body. Sometimes that comes through tears. Sometimes it comes through writing. Sometimes it comes through exercise, because we're able to get out some of the tension. There are many, many ways that people healthily get their grief out. And, doing what Joab just told David to do is not one of them. Thank you very much. Like, I think of uh, a young mom that I knew many years ago and her grief, she had two people in her life, her intimate circle die on the same day. And her world she would liked it to stop like just just like david like here because david is like i i just wish it had been me and and people get scared by that because they think that somebody's going to attempt suicide and it's possible but like when you've had your heart torn out it makes sense and uh this young lady that that was where she was but she had other kids and as a result She had to take care of them. So she balanced the intense grief that she was experiencing with certain demands that had to be done by her. There were things that people could do for her children that would allow her some extra space at that time. But there were certain things that were... Mommy had to be there because those kids also had those deaths also, and they needed to know that she was still mom. She was a very tearful and a very worn out mom, but she was still mom. So on grief.com, I pulled up an article about the best and worst things to say to someone in grief. And there are many others, but this list was helpful. So the worst things, it says, number one, at least she lived a long life. Many people die young. It's not my number one. I'm telling you that right now. But it's it's on a list uh, because that people get that all the time, especially when they have parents die. Number two, he is in a better place. Oh, my goodness, the number of times I've heard people say that. And sometimes the griever themselves will say that because that's a comfort to them. But when you just assume that the griever will be comforted by that, it can be one of those things they bring to counseling months later because it sticks in their mind because they're like, but I need him here. Next one, oh, this one's awful. She brought this on herself or he brought this on himself. Oh, my goodness. Like, if that is ever in your vocabulary, please, please toss that out. Four, there's a reason for everything. And you may listen to some of these and go, well, I've said these. And, well, it's it's okay. Like, you can't go back and rewrite history. But I want you to think about how this can be received. Because the thing is, certain ones of these phrases, they're not horrid. Like, she brought this on herself. They're not horrid just by themselves, but it all depends on where the person is in their grief journey. And if they see no reason whatsoever that this should have ever happened, and you come up and say, oh, there's a reason for everything, you might get slapped (laughs) because that's not comforting to them. Even though there might be a reason for everything, they don't want to hear it because that does not bring them comfort. Because in their mind, the only thing that matters is their loved one is not here. Next one, aren't you over him yet? He's been dead for a while now. And that's what I used as the reference at the beginning because it's been said by so many people. There are people who will tell people that at a week after their loved one has died. Like, seriously, we need help as a society in understanding grief. This one is awful, but I know that it's been said many times. You can have another child still. Now, imagine being a grieving parent. Like, seriously how is that helpful and this is not on their list but one that is gets said all the time to people who've had their spouse die is well at least you can still marry like in that moment that is not what comforts them so just do not say it next she was such a good person god wanted her to be with him And I, again, like, that that one's just faulty theology, number one. But number two, that's not what somebody who's missing their loved one wants to hear. No matter your faith tradition, no matter how strong your faith may be, believing that because your loved one is good, that God needs that person more than you do. Like, that's not going to be comforting to most people and to almost everyone. It will not help in the long run. Next one, she did what she came here to do and it was her time to go. And so, even though from a biblical perspective, God numbers our days, and we know that. I mean, it's in Scripture multiple places. But it is not necessarily comforting to a grieving person to hear that. Because they're hurting. They need comfort. They do not need these grand thoughts and the 10th the one, you may very well have said, because there are many people who say this, and that's to be strong. And the number of times I have stood in visitation lines, and I've stood in more than most anybody ever, but that I have listened and heard people telling the griever, you've got to be strong. He wouldn't want you to cry or All the different variations on it. I just want to strangle somebody. Because. You are doing. Something very similar to Joab. In the fact that you are. Telling the person. That. They need to just shut down the emotions. And get on with life. And there are many others. But. My top one is not on their list. And that is the famous, I know how you feel. Now tell me how on God's green earth that you can know how another person feels. I don't care if you've had a similar loss. I don't care if you and your siblings all had the same mom you still can't know how your siblings feel because you are a different person and you had different relationships and multiple other factors never ever 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 say to someone who's grieving i know how you feel and there are many other examples out there but That's their list, and I had to toss in my absolute I hope is never said again in this life phrase. These are their suggestions for the best things to say. First one is, I'm so sorry for your loss. Now, I've had people who have not liked that phrase, even though it is something that I do say, and I have continued to say it. I have had a couple of people, one is on a TED Talk and another one is an individual that I know that they do not like that. So just know that there's not a this is comforting to everybody phrase even when you're saying ones from the heart and thinking that No one could possibly be offended. The second one, I wish I had the right words. Just know I care. That one is perfect. Like that one is, and I have written that on the cards of, or at least something similar on the cards to parents who've had children die. I've written something similar to that because I do not have the words. Like I have no clue what to say. And just acknowledging that sometimes is the best thing to say. Next, I don't know how you feel, but I'm here to help in any way I can. I love that. Absolutely love that. Next one, you and your loved one will be in my thoughts and prayers. Absolutely. It's a great phrase. And if you really are going to pray for them, then that's good. If you're not, don't say it. Don't say it. But And the other thing is, do not Please do not be offended if somebody comes back and says something about the fact that they no longer believe in God or your prayers, I know you mean well. Like, don't be surprised because some people, even those who have a strong faith, when they have their closest loved one leave their side... They're not real fond of the Lord. I had somebody tell me that just a month ago. They they knew in their head that there was a God, and they knew that they had a relationship with Him, but right now, they didn't want to hear anything about Him. So just know that. Next one, I think is awesome. It's, my favorite memory of your loved one is. And like so many times... One of the benefits of a visitation is families find out stories about their loved one that they never even knew people that were helped. Next, I'm always just a phone call away and that's not bad to say, but so many times people who are in grief don't have the energy to pick up the phone and call. So sometimes you need to take the initiative not to be pushy, not to move in with them, not all that kind of stuff, but sometimes you really need to be more proactive than I'm just a phone call away. And so it's not a bad thing to say, but know that you picking up the phone or you texting or you, if you have the type of relationship where you can pop by and just saying, hey, I'm going to do this, or is it okay if I do this? Being a little more proactive may be even more helpful. Next, give a hug instead of saying something. And depending on your relationship, I mean, there's certain times where that's exactly what I've done. I've not said one word because I can't mess up if I don't say anything, and I've just given a hug. Because that expresses more than what words can say anyway. Next, we all need help at times like this. I'm here for you. Nothing wrong with that. And I don't see how in the world anybody could get upset over that one. Next one. I'm usually up early or late if you need anything. just Again, that's all about the availability. But you may need to take that one step further. And the next one is saying nothing just be with the person in other words Job's friends we don't have that on this podcast specifically but I love to refer back to Job's friends they did so well when they just sat with him in his grief when they got in trouble was when they opened their mouths And that's what the majority of the book is about them spouting off what they thought was correct. And some of it was correct, but some of it was just insanely harmful. (laughs) And they just seemed to like the sound of their voices and they just kept talking. And then another one joined in like it it was bad. If you ever want to see how not to support your friend, Look at the majority of the book of Job. So, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your response to today's podcast. I would also love to be of comfort to you if any of this has like clicked and you've gone, Whoa, either I've said those things and I wish I could take it back, or Yeah, I was really hurt by something on that list or something outside someone who's had a miscarriage. That's a unique type of loss. Never, ever, ever, ever say something like, well, at least you didn't know him. Like, don't, don't even... Don't even, we could go for days on things not to say or even things to say, but it comes down to don't be Joab. (laughs) Like have some compassion. You may be in a boss situation and you, you feel like you've got to motivate your employee because work's not getting done. But there are ways to do it. There are ways to be supportive. I've, I've heard of phenomenal businesses and support that they have given to their employees. And then I've heard others who dropped the ball like Joab. So we're going to close out with two of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3-4 the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, which I'm doing my Acts Bible study, and that's where I'm at, is Paul is in Corinth, and I'm beginning to understand more about why he wrote what we think, I think, are three letters, but we have two of them, to the church at Corinth, because he spent so much time with them that he, he knew them, and he knew what he needed to address, but These are two of my favorite verses, and they apply so much here. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And again, that comfort may come in kind words, but it may come even more in the ministry of presence just being there just getting them a cup of coffee just grabbing a water for them as they're standing in the visitation line taking them out to lunch giving them things to talk about that aren't their loved one or being willing to just sit with them when they have no words to say or talking about their loved one and giving them somebody giving them a safe space to be able to share because they want to talk about their loved one. The majority of the time, they really do. And most people avoid the subject. If you are willing to go there, you can make a world of difference. If you're not willing to go there, offer to change the light bulbs or to call the fence man or to help down here in South Louisiana help put up the storm preparations if we've got a hurricane in the gulf like do the practical like we can all comfort others with the same comfort that we have received it may not look exactly the same but it's a level of comfort god has comforted us we have all experienced loss be an instrument of his comfort not an instrument of further destruction in their lives weekly assignment feature ask the lord to show you at least one way you can better support someone who is experiencing loss so i would love to hear from you questions comments points of improvement whatever in the world you can send that to encouraging others in loving Jesus at gmail.com. Information on the podcast. Now, I've been placing the, the link that I've been placing in my social media post is the link to my Podbean, which can includes all of the episodes. But you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Amazon Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts. And on and on and on the story goes. Please take a moment to just share this with others. I know you know somebody who could use this. They could use this encouragement. They could use the story from the life of David as a reminder that we can all improve on how we comfort others. David's loss devastated him, and Joab just didn't see it. All he saw was the task he thought was at hand. All he saw was what he thought was important. He missed the fact that his commander, his, his head, his king, was hurting And he missed that opportunity to comfort, to be there, and to provide some practical guidance. All he could see was the practical guidance and managed to put some hurtful words in the midst of it. Let us not be a Joab. So thank you so much for tuning in. And just remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of thing.